Uh, you're listening to The Dollop on the All Thingy Comedy Network. This is an American history podcast where each week I, surfer, wearer of sweatpants, maker of love, Dave Anthony, reads a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. Really? I'm glad that's back, and I'm glad that you've had time to work on your three well, things and that they're <clears throat> get, they get more. The people more asked fun. for it. Could you the provide evidence it. of uh, the people asking for it? Is it possible for me to see an email the, or a tweet? The petition? Whatever? Yeah, is it possible for me to see the petition? Yeah, Absolutely. no, BuzzFeed started a petition. BuzzFeed? Yeah. BuzzFeed is a news online situation Online. for news, news. They, they're very good and at news. they they found that a lot of people were uh as I they said missing I, you don't something. need to go through all of it just some documentation is all i'm asking for just some evidence towards the fact that there was a petition your words asking for you to come back with these three things that are listed in your character type uh that are it again, was described just, as an emptiness in the heartland of america so I have to, as you know, I'm a people pleaser and I respond positively to any sort of criticism of the yes. podcast. No, ask, and I took, ask the, there's a lot. I, if I may just jump <clears throat> in quickly, there is, yeah. if you ask the people who, you know, the thousands of people you've blocked on Twitter, they will tell you that it is, you like to, you like feedback. You want to hear feedback i want to hear what you think especially the negative stuff i want to hear it you feel like it helps um, you find <clears throat> find the truth that you need as far as how yeah. you know you like notes yes i love notes right. it's something i picked up as a writer a long time ago i love um, to hear I can really only great notes imagine, from- i can only imagine what that was like because it must be uh Noting you must be a, an honor and a pleasure. This episode is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show. Uh, it's a it's a top tippity top podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. He has on guests. He interviews people, super fascinating people. Uh, gets them to tell secrets and and share their skills and tell their stories. Very in depth conversations. And these people are all at the top of their game. And he turns their guest wisdom into practical advice that you can use. One really cool thing that uh, Harbinger does is he has episode starter packs. So there's like a collection of top episodes organized by popular topics. So you just go like disinformation or activism or resistance and revolution, communication, cult scams, all different stuff, just a bunch of topics. And then you can just kind of go through them if that's what you're into. I've been listening to some episodes and uh, there's a really cool one with Frank Boressa, uh, episode 488, The World's Greatest Counterfeiter. Uh, so Boressa counterfeited $250 million in, in U- U.S. fake currency, and then he got caught, which that's, how, that's why we know him. Uh, so now he runs a security company. Highly recommend you check it out. It's a crazy, crazy story. And then right up my alley, uh, ecologist Spencer Roberts, in episode 599, The Dirty Truth About Corporate Greenwashing, uh, Spencer's an engineer, ecologist, writer, and he specializes in exposing corporate 
science propaganda and greenwashing, which uh, super interesting topic. And he goes into like, how safe is dolphin safe tuna? And what's up with microplastics? So a bunch of different stuff that he talked about. And uh, I really enjoyed that episode. So Jordan really gets into the minds of people. He's got a really good talent for getting uh, his guests to share stuff that they've never said or you've never heard. And he pulls out little tactical bits of wisdom. So Jordan Harbinger, super funny, super easy to listen to. We really like this show, and we think you're going to like it as well. There's a lot to like. Check out jordanharbinger.com slash start for some episode recommendations, or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also brought to you in part by uh, Babbel. I took French in high school. I didn't. I don't know any French now, so that didn't really work. Par, parlez-vous. I don't know what I just said. Not the high point of my my academic career. But now we have Babbel. It's a language learning app. It sold more than ten million subscriptions. It's a funny way to learn a new language. And if you're traveling abroad, or you're trying to connect in a deeper way with family, or you just got free time, you want to learn a language. I have started learning Spanish on Babbel. I want to get on El Dollop, of course, our Spanish version of the Dollop, and then just talk to people that are in my life. You know, there's a lot of people I know that speak Spanish. For me, Babbel was a no-brainer because they got little 15-minute lessons uh, that you can take on the go, whatever's convenient for you. A lot of other language apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel's lessons are done by over 100 language experts. You can choose from 14 languages, including French and Spanish and Italian and German, and it has, and Babbel has speech recognition technology to help you improve your pronunciation and your accent. And then there's a lot of ways to learn with Babbel. They have podcasts and games and videos and stories. And then I also have live classes, so you can join a live class. And then it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So start your new language learning journey today with Babbel like I have. I am learning Spanish. Right now, save up to 60% off your subscriptions when you go to babbel.com slash dollop. That's babbel.com slash dollop for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, a language for life. And we are brought to you in part by Peloton. Very hard to keep yourself motivated, to keep things fresh when you're working out. You don't want to burn out. And Peloton is now pushing you further with so much new on the Peloton bike and the Peloton Bike Plus. They got new classes, they got new music, they got new ways to keep your workouts motivating. I've been doing the boxing. I've talked about this before. Boxing on Peloton is a very quick, very fast, just kind of furious workout with the Peloton instructors. And you don't have to ever box before. You work up a sweat. Trust me, it's, it's legit. And you work on the fundamentals of form and footwork. And you do some combos. And then Peloton also has new artist series music selections. So you can work out for an entire class just listening to one single artist. Over 100 artists to choose from. So you find your favorite music, you you got your favorite instructor, and then off you go. You go off and do your thing. And Peloton has more of a daily workout variety. So you want to stick to your workout goals. You can switch it up all the time. You got to work out for every day and every schedule. You want to do 30 minutes of strength. You want to do 20 minutes of cardio. You want to do some yoga. So you just stay motivated that way. You can get on the bike for workouts. You could do yoga, meditation, dance, cardio, boxing, like I said. So it's all there, man. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. That's O-N-E-P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com. We, the dollop, will be in Australia touring. We will be uh, on the 19th April. It's so soon. This is coming up. You can go to dolloppodcast.com for tickets. 
April 19th, Hamer Hall, Melbourne. 20th, Adelaide. 24th, Melbourne again. 27th, Brisbane. 29th, Sydney. 30th, Canberra. May 1st, Sydney. And then May 3rd, Perth. And then also, once we come back, we're going to be ready to party, okay? We like to party, and we will be in North America. We will be uh, at May 12th, the, Bo- the Wilbur in Boston, May 13th, New York City, May 14th, Washington, D.C., May 15th, Philadelphia, June 2nd, Madison, June 3rd, Milwaukee, even though it still doesn't say it on the website, it just says Turner Hall Ballroom. June 4th, we'll be in Chicago. June 5th, we'll be in St. Paul. June 17th, we'll be in Seattle. And June 18th, we'll be in Portland. Isn't that exciting? You left out. You left out when we go to the Turner Hall Ballroom. Right. Sorry, we'll be in Milwaukee at the Turner Hall Ballroom. I should point that out. We'll I think it's in. just Turner Hall Ballroom. I don't think it's actually in the town. Right. I'm sorry. Not a lot of people know that the theater has seceded from the city of Milwaukee. That's right. So we will be uh, in a in an area in Wisconsin called the Turner Hall Ballroom. Um, very excited. Uh, and then it's Dave a legal free zone. There's no laws there there. It's a lawless uh, zone where uh, mm-hmm. we plan on. Yeah. I mean, I, let's let's be no honest. There's nine months from now. There's going to be a lot of dollop babies, not just from yeah. us. Just yeah. it's happening. OK, a lot uh, in Australia. Also in April, Dave, I will be there doing stand up. I will be in. <sighs> Fullerton, which is near Adelaide, celebrate April 21st. April 22nd, I'll be in Melbourne. The 23rd, also Melbourne. Uh, May 4th, I'll be in Northbridge, which is uh, Perth. Uh, Then I'll be May 5th, Brisbane. May 6th, Sydney. May 8th, Canberra. May 16th, uh, I'll be back in America at Lutherville Timonium Timonium, uh, in Maryland at Magoobies. Don't say a word, Dave. May 17th, I'll be in Washington, D.C. May 19th, I'll be in Virginia Beach. May 20th, I'll be in Brooklyn. June 8th, I'll be in Oxnard. June 9th, I'll be in Irvine. And then June 12th, I'll be in San Diego. Go to GarethReynolds.com for all ticket information and nudes. September 1992, Year of Our Lord Jesus Christ. And and you just told me before we started this, the... I don't know if it's good news or bad news. It expanded. But we it's, it's three parts now. The Steven Seagal episodes are now a when? trilogy. That's a trilogy. I didn't think that was gonna happen, but mm. and, and Okay, so where we Okay, yeah, great. Where where we left off. Uh Steven Seagal, now a bona fide action star. He's just had his biggest hit. Uh, under siege, he's making sixteen million dollars a movie. Uh, he had, he has a huge house above Sunset Boulevard. He owns a ranch in Santa Ynez with a winery attached. He got, and then he got what every big star covets, what every big star wants when they first hit it big. He landed the hosting gig on Saturday Night Live. Oh my God! I completely have. Blocked this out. I must have watched Everybody it. Has. Steve, even Seagal hosting Saturday you, Night Live. You can't watch it because they've removed scrubbed it from it? everywhere. Wow, it's scrubbed. You couldn't find it anywhere. There's there's a couple sketches. He walks in the first day <laughs> and told the writers and actors he had never seen the show and didn't know what they did. It's a good vibe. Good energy. Imagine living in America 
and having act just act like you've never seen Siren at Live or really heard about what it is. It's literally well, an impossibility. Dave, but but again, I mean, when you're living this Eastern lifestyle, no matter where you are, you know, he swears off. Uh, cultural regularities yep. like that. I mean, he's not, That's fair. this is not a guy who's had a hot dog or knows what it is. This is a guy right. who spent his life, you know, um, throwing people really far for millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, th- and that's what happens when you live your life as a dog in a dojo. That's true. No, you make so, a good point. Thank you. During the week, he was very critical of the cast and writing staff which is really helpful if you want to get really funny stuff written. To well, he was probably like, this writer. guy's working on punching this Dave Anthony sketch up all the time. Why doesn't he focus on the show? Yeah, yeah. It was the first, David Spade, it was, uh, David Spade said it was the first time that there was ever a discussion of just getting rid of the host and doing the show with the cast. <laughs> I can't do that. Wow. Many people, um, so uh, many, many, many people who have been on Sign Alive as, as actors have said he was the worst host ever. I mean, they've had Julie, Wayne Gretzky, which is a dark episode. Yes. Yes. So that's saying something. Julius, Julie Sweeney said Stephen pitched a sketch in which he would play a therapist to a rape victim. Oh, my God. This man is and not ready for primetime playing. And then the comedy part is that as a therapist, he hits on her. Oh, my God. I feel, oh, my God, I feel bad. I don't feel Remember I told you the second second part would be the dark night of the soul? Oh, it's just not a good start. I mean. Do you know how fucked up of a human being you have to be to pitch that as comedy? I mean. Well, it, you know, like, because I, I listened to our first episode, I, the really, the stuff you were saying about the women assistants who worked for him and the one where she's brushing her teeth and he's like, I, I can't get over that moment where he's like, that's sure. what it looks like when I come in your mouth. Because it is, it's, it's, it's not only i mean again it's just disgusting it's wrong but it's also it's not there's no charm there's no insi- like it's just a horror it's just so graphic and that's like it's more a, of the same it's like another branch on the tree of just disgusting where he's like but here's the twist i'm trying to fuck her <laughs> what does everyone think for lunch i can order some uh Japanese food for us in Japanese, if that is what everyone would like. You all aren't laughing yeah, no. so hard at my rape therapist sketch for some reason. I think as we go through this episode, uh, think back to the toothpaste you Tooth- like at my come in your mouth, and that's yeah. not about humor or whatever. That's about power, right? That's about making someone feel bad. Um, Working on me so far. St- at one point, Stephen was uh, pitched to be in a Hans and Franz sketch, and he uh, told Bob Odenkirk he would only do it if he could actually beat up Hans and Franz at the end. It's only funny if I win. That's how comedy works. <laughs> I mean, well, the whole thing, you know, the truth is the whole thing about being a host on SNL to some extent is the ability to poke fun at yourself, especially yes. if you're void of talent. 
So, and he's not going to do that. So, and of course, it's going to be an uphill battle um, trying to get him That's right. to, to accept himself as lower status or anything. Yes. Right. Uh, the last sketch of the show is one that Stephen wrote. Bob Odenkirk said it was eight minutes long. Stephen brought in a bunch of stuntmen okay. who portrayed the Exxon board of directors. And so people tuning in just see a bunch of people who are not on the show. Right. Sitting around to start the sketch. Sure. No one recognizable. Right. And then Stephen enters at one point and just beats them all up. Okay. So, well, I, Dave, dare we say that while not funny, while not representative of the design of the show, the, the, the plot is pretty good, beating the shit out of Exxon executives. Well, the one thing we can say about Steven Seagal that are the two good things are that he, he truly believes that we should save the environment, and he right. also very much wants to help animals. Those are the two right. things we can say about him. Well, he probably but, saw like a seagull in like an oil spill, and he was like, those are my brethren. I am Steven Seagal. <laughs> Get the oil off of my brothers. So he beats up all of the Exxon. I mean, we're talking about throwing people through doors. Sure. Onto smashing tables, that whole sure. deal. Sure. And then at the end, after he's beaten them all, he turns to camera and says, quote, this is what happens when you pollute the planet. And then the end comes up. Funny. And that's. It's funny. That's the end of the sketch. It's funny. It's definitely funny. And then he's just on the stage yeah. like, hey, thanks, everybody. It's Steven. Uh, what a great night. This is unbelievable. I want to thank the cranberries. <laughs> well, the, the reason they put the end up in a Chiron, which they never do on Saturday Night Live, is because nobody knew what had just happened. You they mean didn't they, didn't show, they, they didn't were, show the stage? The stage is up there, and then up on the screen comes the end. So you at home know it's over because yeah. nobody fucking knew what was going on. They should have probably also had the start at it, too, just to be clear, like, oh, this is not an accident. I thought the cameras <laughs> were maybe potentially accidentally rolling on this. Okay. Sounds like a so winner. So Stephen was, Stephen was, and I believe is the only person banned from Saturday Night Live for being bad. Wow. Again, Michael Phelps, Wayne Gretzky, there's a list. Yeah, there's a list. So around this time, a campaign manager and lobbyist in New Jersey uh, received a call from Stephen. Now, they had met once in 1988 in Atlantic City at some party where they only exchanged hellos. That was it. And then, whatever, three, four years later, he gets a call. Sure. Uh, I'm going to call him, uh, he's a campaign manager, I'm going to call him the CM because he, he wanted to remain anonymous. He never said his name. Okay. Um, this is uh, an interview I found in the Baffler magazine, which is a really good magazine. So, really? Um, he does an interview with the Baffler, this guy, and he explains what happened with Stephen. So out of the blue, Stephen calls the CM. And Stephen asks him to come to L.A. to meet because, quote, I'm looking to do something in the way of politics. Hmm. Interesting. The CM is like, well, before I come out, we need to discuss trip expenses and all this. And Stephen just goes, how about $50,000? Well, he, so he, to him, the lowest denomination of money is $50,000. 
<laughs> he sees no other like that to him is that to him is as low as it goes. Every I mean, seems like he's it. made us so much money. So I guess it's just like his go to. But again, he is throwing around fifty thousand dollar briefcases like they're two dollar tips. He he's flying a guy out for a fucking couple of days or just a meeting. How about fifty thousand dollars? Uh yeah, okay, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely yes, yes. Yep, I, we don't even need, need to negotiate that. So the guy flies out, and Stephen has two very, very large-breasted women meet him at the airport. Sure, as one does. That's, uh, yep, uh, regular. And then they take, him to the, they take him to the limo, and he gets in the limo with them, and they so drive. So they're not he, even driving. They are merely just there to greet. Okay, so there is a separate, they're, okay. They're greeting ornaments, basically. Right. And uh, he's asking questions, and they, they're just like, yeah, let's talk to Steven. So he gets to the office, and um, they sit down. And Steven says, quote, you know politics. Should I get my hands dirty in it? This could have been a phone call, sir, and you could have <laughs> uh, saved yourself a lot of money. These fine women here did not need to waste their day. You didn't need to get me a limo. Uh, <laughs> okay. So the guy's like, well, I would need to see some polling numbers. And Stephen has a file. He says, if you open this and read it, then you're in. If you, if you don't open it, if you walk away, that's it. But you, once you open the file, you're on board. This is called the Morpheus of politics. You either <laughs> eat the pill or wake up tomorrow and everything's the same. So the guy opens up the file. Jesus. And shows the poll, the polling results that he's done to the CM. Uh-huh. And the CM looks at it, and he's on board. He's like, these are good numbers. Apparently, Stephen has a legitimate chance but in winning a political race. But what this race. guy doesn't know, I'm guessing, is that Stephen's whole life is built on a foundation of fibbery and lying. So the connection to reality Art. is probably, let me finish, is probably not there. Because he's probably going like, you ever seen poll numbers this good? 99% every, in every city? And the guy's like, oh my God. God, you're either a psychopath or this is amazing. Okay, it could be. Mm-hmm. It could also be they were real poll numbers, but you're right, it's probably not real. Okay. The guy's on board, so he immediately is like, Let's go. Steven sends him that day to a condo he had rented in, in Tahunga. Okay, Tahunga is next to my town. It's, it's way outside of L.A. Yeah. It's Trump country. Like, it's just over the hill Trump country, sort of ruralish, but part of Los Angeles. There's nothing there. He has a reason for it. He says he wants everything done quietly, and so he wants him working somewhere where there's no show business and no politics. You're at the way Super 8 of- in Tahunga <laughs> where nobody will believe that this is happening. Plus, saves me a little cash. The CM hires a staff, 16 people. Jesus. The staff agrees to keep quiet when they hear that it's Steven Seagal. And, and they, they're, they're headquartered in Tahunga. That's where the campaign is headquartered, basically. Okay. Correct. Stephen wanted 
the pulling to focus on his appearance, specifically his ponytail. Bless you, Dave. Bless you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How I okay. Our politics are vapid and have no real purpose any longer. <laughs> However, That's correct. I still would think it would I, I in 10, 15 years, I think maybe a, the ponytail could be the focus of a political ad. But uh-huh. it seems like a hard feature to um, base your campaign upon. Hey, this is Steven Seagal's ponytail, and I approve this message. No, that's not, that's not what's going on. He wanted to know what voters thought of his ponytail. Oh so God. the CM took two photos. Quote, I had an artist retouch the second photo to make four more pictures where the ponytail was four different lengths. What in God's name? So he's got ponytail policy? They're, <laughs> they're doing polling Based on how much people will vote for him based on his ponytail length. That first one is, um, it's shorter, right? And we all feel pretty good about that. Now, the next one I'm going to show you guys a lot longer. This is twice the length. We like this more, less, or about the same? What is everyone? Um, I like that it's longer. I feel like it's good because it's more distinguished. I also uh, like the longer version of the ponytail. It um, feels like he shows that he's committed to his vision. You know, no matter what anyone says or thinks, he's still sticking to a longer ponytail. I'm disgusted by what I see. You're doing a comedy bit that is exactly what fucking happened. God damn it. And I only, all right, I'm just for, just for fun, just to try and call some more bullshit shot. Is he behind a mirrored fucking window watching all this? Going like, at, one, yes. at one point he was watching. Oh my God. He's watching his ponytail focus groups. They took the four, they did kill the old lady the photos. They what? Okay. Right. Okay. They did surveys with the four photos and then they determined like women like his pony women between like. 25 and 40 like his ponytail the way it is. Men between uh, 35 and 50 don't like the ponytail. Younger people like the longer ponytail. Like they literally broke it down, all He's the polling, like, Gosh, on how politi- people would vote for him. Politics is so hard because you can't please everybody with the length of your ponytail. That's right, Stephen. Can I ask you uh, where you stand on abortion? Not right now. Let's nail this ponytail thing down first. <laughs> We've got to get this right. So it's all broken down by demographics. Who wanted what ponytail length? The plan is to run Stephen as an environmentally friendly Republican against Dianne Feinstein in 1994 for the U.S. Senate seat. It couldn't have been worse. And to use a speech his character would make at the end of the movie on deadly ground as his stump speech for the campaign. Now this, this is when on deadly ground is just a script. So and 
It is now it the speech in on Deadly Ground is famous for being ridiculous. Because it's like eight minutes long and he's talking longer. Okay. And it's just it's originally him. 14 minutes. <laughs> and it's in just the script, him. it's 14 minutes. And he's just talking to camera, right? Or no, he's talking to someone. In the movie, he's giving a speech to people. Okay. But the movie is cutting with montages of, you know, you know, all the planets. Yeah, right. all this stuff. So, so this is his stump so he's speech. Like, his plan. I've already written my stump speech. It's a character's <laughs> speech, it's a monologue. <laughs> but by the way, what I mean, it's all absurd, but not too far removed from politics. <laughs> okay, now we're getting oh. somewhere. Okay. Their internal numbers said with a four-inch ponytail, he could beat Diane Feinstein 53 Shut. to 47. Shut up. What is happening? <laughs> is the CM like, what am I doing? This is not... Uh, Steven, so the good news is if your ponytail's four inches, you're a lock. Boy, that's tough to commit to, though, huh? Yeah, no, it's certainly going to be tough. But anything else, you lose independence. So it's not easy. uh, That's a minimum, right? That's a six point. That's the minimum they thought they could. They thought they could easily beat her by 10 points based on their polling. If you grow a Fu Manchu and let it touch your butt, I mean, we're talking a landslide, Steve. Have you thought about bangs? The reason he does not run is because very, very rich guy Michael Huffington entered the race as a Republican also, and he was going to use $7 million of his own cash in the GOP primary, and Stephen only wanted to use $2 million of his money, so he didn't think he could match him, so he decided not to run. Now, at the time, the CM said Stephen was considering running in 1996, quote, and if he wins, I don't see what would keep him out of the White House in 2000. Oh, my God. I mean, after knowing how 2000 plays out, <laughs> we are talking about a Back to the Future 2 timeline where Steven Seagal had a probable chance. And after knowing how 2016 played out. Like, oh, God. Duh. I mean, he could run. I think Steven Seagal could run now and probably, you know, pull well. I mean, well, obviously, it depends on the length of his ponytail and weird uh, yeah. shoe polish goatee. Um, yeah. Imagine, like, getting, like, going to school to learn about political campaigning and then finding yourself in a Tahunga Motel 6 working <laughs> on polling data for Steven Seagal's ponytail. <laughs> Just like, is it always like I've never worked on another camp? No, this is my first one where they've worried about the length of the ponytail for sure. This is my third campaign, and this has never come up before. So it's not always like that. So I feel like we dodged a bullet because who knows? Who knows what could have happened? I mean, I feel like we've See, also been riddled by bullets. <laughs> yes, so true. Maybe. Steven's next movie was On Deadly Ground, which is the movie we were just talking about. Um, an action, you know, martial arts action film with an environmental message. Sure. It originally had been titled Rainbow Warrior, but changed. Sure. Sure. Um, the reason it was made, because Warner wanted an Under Siege 2 
So they agreed to let Steven direct On Deadly Ground as part of the sequel deal. He's directing. I mean, he he really does have no, like, uh, I mean, there's no charisma to him. It, it, it really just mm-hmm. does show you how stupid, especially in the 90s, the action film genre was. But even then, you know, the the gumption to feel like you can also direct these things after having just no, I mean, he was just like a liar. And now he's not only starring in these movies, he's writing them, he's directing them, and they're fucking succeeding miraculously. Well, let's not say that about On Deadly Ground. On Deadly Ground is a bomb, okay. Oh, yeah. Around this time, it becomes widely known in Hollywood that Stephen is packing heat everywhere he goes. You mean shitting his pants when someone puts him in a head? That's correct. Right. That's okay. correct. I was watching a video, and, and, and uh, someone asked Chuck Norris what they thought of Steven Seagal's fighting ability, and he was like, well, he carries a gun. <laughs> it's like, that's... Uh, <laughs> so what do you think of that? Oh, well, then let's, let's say this, and, and I went to Joe Rogan for this, because I believe this is one of the only areas he actually has expertise, but wow. he talked about... Uh, uh, Aikido is that what it's called um, uh-huh. that that he does? Um, it's not. Well, he, it's yeah. not. It's not an actual. It's not something you would use in hand to hand combat. It's basically. It was created so you could you could fight someone who has a sword and take their right. sword away. It's not. It's why. It's why there's no Aikido guys in like UFC. It's not an actual. Applicable thing. martial art to you would get the shit kicked up. out of you by a, right. a judo guy or whatever else. It's not a right. It's not like a fighting martial art. So, right. but if um, you see okay, a guy anyway, with a so, sword, now you're right. now it's go time. Now, now you have the sword. Yeah. So a studio executive told Vanity Fair, Stephen usually had a Colt forty five and or a Browning ninety millimeter on him. Quote. He always wore coats that had longer backs. He always had a gun, if not more. He often had two. Yeah, it doesn't speak well to a martial art expert to be it does not, carrying does guns. It? No. But again, he got put what? in a headlock and shit his pants. So That's he's probably like... Yeah, absolutely he's, true. He's been hurt. One time, Stephen showed the exec a knife made out of a material that he could take through, an airport, through airport metal detectors. Stephen was also trying to get a permit to be able to carry a gun on a plane. Oh my god! What the fuck? I mean, he, he like it, it, it again because it's so meteoric. It see like he is his character, and and because his like his world is so blended with bullshit, it's now kind of bleed like the the theatrical stuff is now bleeding into yeah. reality further for him. A hundred percent. A stylist who fitted him for a tux for the Oscars said, quote, What is he doing at the goddamn Oscars? I mean, what was he like? If you have a hit movie out, you get to go to the Oscars. It doesn't even fucking matter what it is. You hit movie, you're going to the Oscars. Steven, do you hope to be nominated someday? Yes, I see myself (laughs) probably getting two to five different Oscars. He probably thought he was going to get an Oscar someday. On Deadly Ground will be the one that I win the Oscar for, probably. I do a 30-minute speech at the end that's directed to Exxon. It's based on a sketch that I ruined Saturday Night Live with. (laughs) So, 
So uh, I had to tailor the tux around two giant guns. He said he needed cover in case they rushed the stage on him. Who they were, I have no idea. Well, it sounded absurd until two weeks ago when, uh, you know, anything could happen at the stage. <laughs> That's true. Would have changed the vibe. Uh, but also, I, I really do feel, I mean, I guess tuxes are tighter, but it definitely feels like you could hide guns in your clothes, but he's needs to be specially. Yeah, tuxes are, tuxes are tighter. It's probably a little more difficult. Uh, so I need you to take out the chest a little bit because I'll be packing heat at the Oscars. You never know what's going to happen at the Oscars. I might need to kill some people. So, I mean, if someone wants to kill me, that's the best place to do it, isn't it? I'm going to win an Oscar by killing the best supporting actor. A studio exec asked Stephen why he needed to carry a gun, and he explained, quote, they're out to kill me. All right. Awesome to catch up with you, buddy. Good to see you, Stephen. So you seem fine and normal. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Now, at this point... No follow-ups. By the way, no follow-ups are the right move there. You don't want to, like, you know, you're like, okay, we're just, I'm going to graze other pastures for a little while. Well, at this point, the execs are mostly laughing behind his back. They think he's just fucking ridiculous. Right. Now, for a while, Stephen has been telling people he received a sponsorship to live and train in Japan with Aikido's founder, I'll, I'm going to butcher it, or Mohai Ushiba. So he's telling people that he went to Japan because this guy invited him. Right. The founder. Of, the, of, of Aikido. A, Aikido. But remember, he followed a girl there. Right. Also, another problem is uh, Yoshiba died in 1969 before mm. Stephen went to Japan and when he was like 15. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're saying so that he would have had to go is... without his parents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to from study Fullerton. Aikido from so this, Fullerton. So this, so this guy basically plucked a young Stephen Seagal randomly from Fullerton and was like, I need you <laughs> right. here. Right. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Seems. Fine. It sometimes sounds like Stephen is Fullerton of shit. <laughs> well, uh, city execs at this point are are just weary of the spy liar guy act. Everyone's just like, okay, dude. But at the same time, he is asking for more creative control from studios in the movies that he's making. Uh-huh. He has ideas for films. He has ideas. Sure. He had written a script about AIDS. Philadelphia. They ruined it. (laughs) They noted me to death. It was about how the CIA... I know in the the movie, I study the art of Etskido. And I'm able to defeat AIDS by shrinking myself into a cell. And then I go into my own body. And I'm able to get my white blood cell count up again. So it's pretty good. What I do is I go into my own body and give AIDS a briefcase of $50,000 and it leaves me alone. It, it's about how the CIA created AIDS to eliminate gays and blacks. Oh, my God. It, it's, it's, I mean, like, there's, there's like, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm so torn in an odd way because part of me is like, I love the, first of all, he says he was ex-CIA. 
So yeah. the fact that he is this uh, keyed in on those thoughts is, I mean, yeah. I'm into that plot. I don't want to see Steven Seagal make that movie because no doubt it will be horrifying and in the worst taste possible. Yeah, oh, for sure. Like it wouldn't. There's no way it could be worse. Well, it's called the CIA AIDS. On. They passed. <laughs> they passed on the AIDS script. What? Weird. What if we call it Sagades? Huh? So one day, a studio exec entered his trailer and found Stephen openly weaving. He said, "Quote: Oh, I'm reading a script. It's the most incredible script I've ever read." And the exec asked who wrote it, and Stephen said, "Quote: I did." <laughs> which, which I. I had heard that, before under different, uh, but that is. Yeah. This is the most plausible thing that we've heard in both episodes. Well, and what I like about it, too, is it's not he walked in on him weeping. He didn't come in yeah. and then Steven started to weep. The guy was like, hey, what's right. going on? And he's like, I just. Uh, I've just read the greatest thing I, I'll ever read. My God, who wrote it? I did. Uh, <laughs> God, I'm good. Oh, I'm so good at this. Oh. It's a movie where I defeat Lyme disease. <laughs> so now, the guy that Stephen was living with on Staten Island, Jules Nassau. Right, the guy who was the The guy who owned the house that Stephen lived right. in. Right. Right, that, that, the ex-pharmacist. still happening? Yes, that guy's still so around. He, but is he, he's not still living. I mean, he's now like the, one of the biggest movie stars. So he's not still living in yeah, this yeah. guy's pool house. Yeah, yeah. Now I believe he's out in L.A. and living okay. there. But right. But so his ex they still are. Buddy. They still are working together. The guy's sure. been, you know, a producer on his films. And, and sure. Well, I mean, uh, chemists are often the ones who come up with the creative uh, capital. The best. Film. Yeah. So Steven starts a production company with Jules Nasso. Uh, they made On Deadly Ground together. Right. And in the movie, Stephen's black outfits are now gone. And he's now wearing dark purple robes and saffron yellow satin jackets. I mean, that is. Um, he's he's a got a lot of like Native American type looking westerny jackets I, in it. Can I just Google what this looks like a little bit? So it is, he's wearing purple satin jackets. It's pretty standard Seagal wear to this day. It's yeah, very standard it sounds... Seagal wear. It's, it's, it's all, it's, it's a Ben Everson. But it kind of I mean, sounds like what a is... wizard would wear. Okay. It's actually, right. I believe, a little Tibetan influence Right. It looks like Hollywood look. Tibetan. Yes. Right. Which is what he's going for. <laughs> I haven't taken a look at him in a while, and my God. Yeah. <laughs> the man... Uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, in the movie, he has um, a bunch of Native American women do a traditional Native American dance. Okay. Um, which is what they do. Like, it's a, it's a, tra- oh, they're completely naked, which is not what they do. For a second, I was like, okay, that's, that's kind of nice. And then, um. I'm sure that's how he pitched it. You know, he's like, it's very important to me that Native Americans are represented properly in this film because this film is 
my love letter to the planet and how we are abusing it and I want you all to be a part of it. So I'm not even going to ask for choreography. Uh, I want you to tell me what a traditional dance would be. You self-choreograph and then whenever you're ready, bring it in and we'll film it. And I want to see your bushes while you do it. Uh, what? It's important to me that you're completely naked when you... I, I, it's important to me that you all are represented. No, we have a traditional uh, dress that we... Uh, a traditional okay, great. outfit so, we wear. Okay, but you have a dance too? It's part of the dance. The, the actual clothing so we wear this is, is part this of is the traditional... What, excellent. So you have the dance, you're saying, yes? Yeah, yeah, we dance, but with okay. traditional clothing on. Okay, so take the clothes and throw it in the, the bonfire that I'll have made outside. Come in when you're ready. Um, I want, it's important that you're all nude, and we will present to camera. Um, and the only thing I ask is that a couple times there's shots where you all bend over to, to grab some stuff, even if it's just your ankles. It's important to me that you are... The white culture in this country has taken so much from you, and I would... Again, this is... this to, In many ways, is an uh, apology to not only the planet, but to the people that have had the land stolen from them. And it's important to me that um, you will have no pasties on your nipples and that the scene will be about five minutes what? and it'll be you all dancing naked. Um, so please accept that as a, an honor. You don't need to thank me. I realize I'm bestowing a, a, a privilege upon you, but um, this, is, this is how I direct. This is how I write. This is how I act. I lead with kindness, and it's just important that you're all completely naked, and uh, at the end, one or two of you will be banging me, the character me, who's named Steven in this, Steven Seagal in this movie. He gets banged by you. Uh, again, this is a, it's my way of thanking you all. Um, sure. So, and then lunch isn't free, come having had. So the movie, um, in the movie, Stevens' character saves Alaska from an oil baron. The speech at the end of the movie was the one he wanted to use as his actual campaign stump speech. It was about the environment and spirituality. It was 14 minutes long, and the studio cut it down to four, and it's still considered eternal when you watch it. <laughs> the edit, I mean, that editor's job, he was probably like, look, this is not, like, it, it never made sense, but the more I pull back, it makes less sense. But that's a good thing, I guess. <laughs> like we're just trying to look. Honestly, we're just trying to shorten it like his ponytail. Um, on deadly ground, a gross thirty-eight million U.S., which is way under what uh, it cost to make, and was obliterated by critics. This would be his last directing job. Oh wow! On what deadly ground? Now, during. Uh, during the filming of this movie, he asked a, a young extra uh, to come to a party at his house, um, and she showed up, and there was no party, and he sexually assaulted her. Oh, Jesus Christ. Ugh. In 1995, Jenny McCarthy auditioned for Under Siege 2. She and Steven were the only people in the room. That's Sitting on a couch... not how auditions work. I mean, honestly. Well, that's how Steven Seagal auditions work. Sitting on a couch near a fireplace, he asked McCarthy to sit down, and she declined. He said, quote, You know, this part has nudity in it, and I can't really tell what your body looks like in that dress that you're wearing. 
McCarthy said her agent told her there would be absolutely no nudity, and he said it was off-camera nudity and asked what to see is, her breasts. What in the fuck? How, I mean, uh, how are you, like, how, I don't understand how you can push that even further. Once you've been busted for, like, lying about it, saying it's off-camera nudity, but I need to see your breasts. Like, there's no logic that, f- it, it's illogical. It's off-camera nudity, but I'll be off-camera, so I have to see your breasts. Does this not... Do you know what I mean? I need to see them, just to know for me. My character has to see them. She, she tried to get back to the audition and doing the scene, but he keeps insisting that she take off her clothes until she starts crying, and she leaves, and as she walks out, she tells him to go buy her Playboy video. Okay, where can I get it? This went pretty good. What a shitbag. I, I also, at that level, to A, feel comfortable being like that. I mean, I, it's, I've never heard that story until now, so I guess that's why you feel comfortable doing it, because it's like, it's not, nobody's really hearing about it, I guess, because you feel shame or whatever. But, so to feel comfortable doing that, but then also to like, to have to need to, to feel the need to be like that when you're a huge star who could surely go out like if you're trying to get laid you've got well, we go of, back we go back to the come on the yeah, face to, comment right it's about power right 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 okay right juliana margulies also had an audition uh, with steven in the 90s a casting director sent her uh, to Stephen to go over a scene in his room, and she assumed the casting director would be there. Sure. It was wrong. Right. Quote, I walked in and sat down, and I jumped right back up because there was something very uncomfortable and hard in the couch. Stephen laughed. It was his gun. Oh, my God. He picked up the crazy. cushion. He picked up the cushion. And took the gun... And he told her he had it to, quote, protect myself from all the crazies out there. Like myself. (laughs) (laughs) Now, he always has a bodyguard also. There's a bodyguard. So the audition audition is you're alone with Steven Seagal and his bodyguard, and he's got a gun sitting under the couch. Correct. Seems seems fine. Casting directors, by the by should not be green lighting oh, no. these fucking scenarios. No, this is this is pimping someone out. This yeah. is a casting director pimping someone out. This is like out. yeah, it's like Weinsteinish uh allowance, you yes. know. Stephen then claimed to be a healer and asked if he could read her palms and uh she let him and at one point he said she had weak kidneys and she said she was now laughing on the inside at him. Like she's like this guy is <laughs> a fucking like, this clown. Guy's just a fucking idiot. Now, she manages to get out of the room like, you know, she's like, okay, fuck this shit. I'm out of here. Um, but uh, she did come back because he owed her cab fare and she demanded the cab fare and he gave it to her. Here's a briefcase of $50,000. <laughs> what is a cab? I don't buy a cab. Ride it home. Wow. Now, um, while he was filming uh, these things, I think the... The Juliana thing happened in a previous movie, but the this stuff is going on while he's filming. And Catherine Heigl, who is sixteen, oh god, and in the in the film on Deadly Ground, 
said on the last day, Stephen goes up to her and says, quote, you know, Katie, I got girlfriends your age. Uh, what? I mean, I, in what? Again, I know it's about <laughs> pop, but like in what universe is there anything about that that is not like uh, horrifying? Yeah. Yeah. I've got girlfriends and your age. I'm married. He's still married to Kelly LeBrock. Yes. What the fuck? And uh, Catherine Heigl says, um, well, that's illegal. And he said, quote, they don't seem to mind. Uh, I'm talking about the police, prick. Ugh. And by, I mean, uh, whatever. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <sighs> It's all good. I mean, there's nothing. No, no. He's a good star for sure. Stephen Kelly had uh, named their third child after their nanny, Arissa Wolf. At some point, Stephen started having sex with their nanny, Arissa Wolf, and got her pregnant. Wait. So is yes. the insinuation that they are raising Arissa's baby or that that? No. The insinuation is, is that he's fucking the nanny. And then says we and should name the baby after the nanny. That he's fucking? And he impregnated the nanny or no? Did I misunderstand that? Just go with the part that he's fucking the nanny. He's fucking okay. the nanny. And then he names the new Kelly LeBrock baby named after the nanny that he's fucking. Yeah. And she says yes. I mean, she must just be like. She doesn't know. She, do she doesn't know he's but fucking even the nanny. then, you must just be like, this is just, I'm in hell. Well, she was in hell. Yeah. She was in hell. So the Why don't I play the ukulele? And then the man, nanny gets pregnant? Nanny gets pregnant. Oh, my God. I want to name it Kelly LeBrock. <laughs> it's a tradesies. Let's do tradesies. You all are being so rude to me right now. During the filming of Under Siege 2, Kelly LeBrock serves him with divorce papers, and he said, quote, holy shit. I didn't know you could do that to me. And then he had a meltdown. Uh, okay. He flew to see a Nigerian healer he had seen on TV. Wow. After that, he went to a Buddhist healer named Makura, and then there were a bunch of other healers. Stephen wrote them many, 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 many checks. Naso said Makura was just scamming his money. Wow. I mean, that he, yeah, he was like, cool, awesome. That'll be $50,000 again. That's what I work in. Now, uh, Under Siege 2 came out in 1995 and grossed $50 million in the U.S. It made more money overseas, but his, his star is clearly fading. Right. Now, most other action guys had a longer shelf life. Right. Steven Seagal's... We're talking about three, four movies. Three movies that did well. Three, four movies that did well. Uh, well, really just well. one that really, really did well. And the others did Which is okay. Under Siege. Under Siege. Right, okay. But he is, um, he is m much more than any of the other action stars. He is fucking brutal in his movies. He tortures. He breaks arms. He is savagely disgusting right. in his films. 
um, which isn't like the other guys. And there's also no humor to him. You know, the other yeah. guys, Bruce well, I don't Willis know. Have you seen him on SNL? Stallone, he, he, I, I, I would push back. I but stand if you see corrected. him on SNL, then you actually are seeing the guy's kind Wonderful. of a Swiss army knife. Yeah. On Saturday Night Live, he does the opening sketch in which Chris Farley comes over is like this crazy kid dating his daughter. And his wife is like all Steven Seagal's the dad and his wife is like all goofy and happy. And Steven Seagal is supposed to be very like tough guy. Mm -hmm. And then when his wife goes out of the room, he's supposed to be really goofy, but he wouldn't do that. Mm. So the sketch doesn't make sense. So the sketch doesn't make sense. So the he, sketch is just like he's an asshole the whole time. They're like, this is not, Yeah, the whole time like a, he's an asshole. This is like, not ma- we're not poking fun at anything. It's just like a dick dad. <laughs> I thought it'd be funny if I broke Chris Farley's back. <laughs> so after Under Siege 2 comes out, about a month later, at least four actresses came forward and said he made sexual advances during late night casting sessions. One said his message was very clear. Have sex with me and you get the part. God. Another actress said he showed her acupressure points and started touching her breasts. His former housekeeper came forward and said he sexually attacked her. Jesus Christ. Also, Kelly LeBrock would would say that her entire um, time with him was um, sexual assaults and abuse. Around this time, he was prepping for the movie Executive Decisions, which is an action thriller starring Kurt Russell, Halle Berry, Oliver Platt, and John Leguizamo. Very first day of rehearsals. He's pre- he's in Executive Decisions. Yes. Okay. But sorry. it's 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 an an ensemble. It's an ensemble. Yeah. The first day of rehearsals, Stephen walked in and announced, "Quote: I'm in command. What I say is law." Hey, I'm Kurt Russell. Uh, this is uh, Halle Berry. So good to meet you. Um, <laughs> seems like you'll be a pleasure. What I command is law. I mean, he's, he's like, this is even for actors. Oh, it's batshit crazy. It's, it's, it's really next wild. level batshit crazy. Yeah. Well, Leguizamo is, while he's not uh, a stand up comedian, he's stand up comedian ish. Yeah. And he just starts show. laughing. Right. He starts laughing when Seagal says this, quote, he slammed me with an Aikido elbow against a brick wall and knocked the air out of me. I dropped to the floor and all I could say was, why, why? Wow. I'm going to break your so leg he assaulted, Yeah, he assaults, he assaulted on the first John, day, he assaults yes. the other actor who laughs when he tells them that he's in command of the production. Yes. Sounds like the film, studio have to make some executive decisions. In that film, he's killed halfway through. He's like sucked he's out of an airplane. He's still in it? Yeah. Well, he's still in it. Should he still be working after what we know? No, he should not be working. But I would even imagine, even by the god-awful Hollywood low-bar standards, that you would be like, I mean, he assaults an actor, and he says he's in command. I feel like they would be like, yeah, Steven. It feels like you're good as just the one guy on his own little mission. Instead, we don't need to surround you with other people who also have ego. I, I wonder if in this movie, because he dies halfway through and doesn't really do anything, if they did cut him out, if they just right. took him out of the movie. They were just like, shh. Um, 
in theaters all over America, when he dies, people just fucking cheered. And he was in a movie theater when that happened, and he was livid. Uh, I need to watch TV healers. It's not funny, you guys. <sighs> in the film The Glimmer Man, Stephen's new religion reared up. Stephen Tobolowski plays a serial killer who Stephen is supposed to kill. Okay. But Stephen decided it was, quote, bad for his karma to keep murdering humans in movies. Well, Stephen, you have that discussion so before now, the script. Now he wants the serial killer to live. Okay, so it's an interesting <laughs> tweak. It feels like, so his job is to kill the serial killer. That's good. But he, because he feels like, I mean, by the way, a guy who is sexually assaulting and coming up with these like horrible casting couch decisions is now like, I'm worried about the karma if, if I kill a, another fake character in a movie. <laughs> what will That's that right. do? And they're like, well, you're like basically a rapist. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but um, what does it do? You know what I mean? I can't kill Steven. I can't do that. So I think he sh Why don't I just give him eternal life? That's cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Well, this is obviously a problem for the film. And Tobolowski speaks to Steven and tells him his character is basically just living in hell and killing him would allow him to be reincarnated as a peaceful being. Oh, interesting. So Steven so goes ahead with it. Yeah, I mean, that that is just got to be an amazing... I mean, it's like negotiating with a child, basically. Yes. Right? I mean, you're just like... <laughs> the fact that, that, that he's that easy to... You're right. Yeah, yeah, after this, your character yeah. does go to heaven, and then he comes back as a different... As long as we shoot the part yeah. where he comes back as a different being, then that works for me. And add an extra <laughs> 20 minutes of the movie, and then at the end, I get to give a quick little speech. To camera. But later on, he says, he ad-libs in the movie, thank God I didn't kill that guy. And so they quickly, they quickly come up with some lines for Tobolowski to make it seem like he had somehow survived being blown up, but in the end, they just cut all of it. So, But he, he's just an idiot. <laughs> so he's convinced. Tobolowski convinces him to not do it. And he's like, yeah, you're right. And then they're rolling. He's like, yeah. Good thing I didn't kill him. And they're like, what the fuck? We just agreed. You just, uh, we already killed him. You this just guy. killed him. Yeah, that's right. I'm not dead, but I, my legs don't work, so I don't think I'll be able to chase down people like I used to. Fuck is happening. Good. By the way, Steven Seagal running is, he doesn't know how to run. He runs like he's thinking about and learning to run at the same time. It's crazy. It's like, There's videos of him running online. A, people just baby, cut it out of movies. Like watching a baby horse. It's like his hands are floppy, but his arms uh. are tight. Like, it's so fucking crazy. Um, it's it's like he just found it's like he just found his arms and his well, back then, isn't sure what to do with them. That's why he made his next movie, Discovering Running. <laughs> in 1996, actress Lisa Guerrero was invited to an audition for this Seagal film, Fire Down Below, at his home. It was very possible it could be a very big break for her. But she refused to go alone. Smart. She was eventually accompanied by the female casting director, and Stephen came to the door in a robe, and she did the scene for him while he sat on a throne. Oh, my God. 
I mean, <laughs> it's the worse that things are getting in his career, the more bonkers the ego has gotten. A robe and a throne. <laughs> has anybody ever worn a robe on a throne? I mean, yes, <laughs> monarchs. Uh, wow. Uh, he um, bought a throne. It feels like, by the way, it's also a toilet, and I'm going. <laughs> okay, so. Is there a camera? I'm the camera. Okay. Great. The casting director is like, by the way, I'm not doing this again. Um, I know. I'm sorry. I'm out. Wait, where are you guys going? Hold on, let's do the scene again. This time I'll go without the robe. Let's all do it naked. Do you guys like Cheetos? <laughs> so Seagal tells her she could have a very big role in the film if she came back later that night for a private audition. Oh, the and she, she did not. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Now, Stephen is putting on weight, which is very, very bad for an action star. Well, Warner Brothers puts Stephen on a strict diet and gives him a trainer, but then they found cookie crumbs on his fitness equipment. Uh, no, it's n no, wait. Uh, hold on. I mean, the idea of, like, execs or a detective going over to his place to see how he's doing on his diet. The fact that the guy's eating cookies in his gym. All right, I'm going to go bench press and eat chips ahoy. I mean, work out. <laughs> Steven, Steven, excuse me. Steven, what is this? What are these? Those are uh, nutrients. Nutrients? Mm, yeah, I got This tastes very much like an Oreo cookie. There's right, a lot of Japanese 
They're Japanese what? Nutrition biscuits? They're what? Yeah, the nutrition cookie biscuits from Japan. From what are they called? Weight loss. They're okay. I'm sorry. So they're weight loss cookie biscuits, but that are nutritional. That's right. What are they called? That's right. They're what are they called? Um, what is the? Excuse me. From the, it means from the panda. So these are nutritional. These are nutritional diet cookie. Japanese cookie cookie biscuits. Japanese cookie biscuits that are of the panda. Because right here, I mean, it looks like there's cream and there's there's dark brown black crumbs here. Very familiar of an Oreo. No, that's... This uh, is... uh, Stephen, this... I work with Stephen. With part of Aikido is working with white fluids. Stephen, like Stephen, hmm? it's right here. It says double stuff. Are you eating double stuff Oreo cookies while you're working out? You're sp- are you even working out? You've definitely put on the weight in your face and double, your body. Double stuff. Yes, is a type of I, Oreo. I, I, Steven, Steven Seagal, have yes. double the martial arts that most people would have. No, it is a and Nabisco I'm, product, and it is called the Double I'm, Stuff. And it is clearly that you, this is this is a brand. It's of a brand cookie. that I'm coming up with called Double Stuff Martial Arts. Well, you just okay. So you uh, you just told me a second ago that these were mm. nutritional diet cookie biscuits of the panda from Japan. And now you're telling me that, well, don't say that's right, because then you just told me that this is a cookie you're coming up with. So what is it? Because I think it's it's an actual Oreo double stuff. It's not a cookie I'm coming up with. What are you coming up with? It's a Japanese nutritional biscuit that helps you with your martial arts training. And I, Steven Seagal, am double stuff with martial arts. You are absolutely double stuff. From what I could tell, you have put on 20 to 50 pounds, and you're supposed to be on a, a diet, a calorie count. And we come down here to check in on your progress, and not only is most of the gym equipment covered in, in cookie crumbs, you are now spinning lies about, don't look away, and stop looking away and look at us when we're talking to you. I put on I, waist muscle. Stephen, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and and do this with you anymore. I mean, we have a clear... Well, you're, deal. Not, you're not an Aikido expert, so you don't know well, how waist muscle works. Look, all I see you doing is Aikido, okay? And the O stands for Oreo. And you're eating a lot of them. And I don't care how you're many times you... are on deadly ground t- right now. Well, you're look, on deadly I, ground. I, I, I'll tell you what I am on is on a, an empty packet of, of double-stuffed Oreos. And I'd be willing to bet that if I looked around here, I would find more of these. The idea that you're even in the gym eating these snacks is, I, I don't even want to open that can of worms. Why not do it in another room? I, I feel like you want to get caught. But regardless, it's hard to tell what you weigh because of the robes that you are now just draping yourself in. But you're certainly bigger. Oreos, and they're from Japan. Okay, they were, uh, they were of the panda. They are diet. It's just, I'm not going to... They are of the panda. They're... In, I, I, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight you. But honestly, I think that I could. That's where we're at. So no, I'm looking at you, and I see absolutely no waist muscle. So I don't know how you could fight me. Yeah, no, I am. A, I am on a very. I'm. A, I am on a diet. I have. Lo- I am trying to lose weight. 
Okay. And again, I'm not even an action star. I just, I just work for a studio. No, no but you're not either, Stephen. Okay. What you are is a, 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 a former action star who's getting one more break as far as I'm concerned, but you're the one on deadly ground and we're going to make an executive decision that you're not above the law. Okay. And I don't even remember the names of your other movies. But yeah, you are very much under siege. You're overweight and under siege. Now quit eating your goddamn diet panda cookies in here and start doing some stuff on the treadmill. Excuse me? Yeah, no, it's Oreos. I mean, the packet is right here. Jesus Christ. Welcome to Japan. We're not, we're in Studio City. Are we? Yes. Because I can be in two places at once. So, in Fire Down Below, he had gotten so large that according to Vanity Fair, quote, the crew spent much of its time trying to find flattering camera angles, which, given the final product, seemed to have been few. We're going to shoot from top, the top of this building this part, Stephen, <laughs> from uh, quite a distance. <laughs> uh, but then Joy arrived. He had a daughter with his ex-nanny, now girlfriend. <laughs> He's now publicly out with his ex-nanny. They're now publicly dating. Right. Taking her to premieres and doing the whole thing. According to Nassau, Nassau, Colombo crime family capo, Sonny Franchisi, was working for a guy who said Stephen was making moves on his wife. So some higher up in the mob is like, Stephen's hitting on my fucking lady. But he, I mean, again, like, he believes he is an action, he believes he is a character in his movie at this point. Yes. So he's like, I yes, can he do does. everything. I think, I, I definitely think there is a completely distorted reality. He doesn't yeah. know what's fantasy and fiction anymore. No. Um, um, so he's, Stephen, when he hears this, is totally freaked out. And he thinks that Franchisi is going to kill him. He keeps saying I'm that Franchisi is going to kill him. But that doesn't happen. Okay. What did happen is some sort of relationship now developed between Stephen and a mob capo, Sonny Franchisi. And over the next few years, mob guys would have parts in his movies. Wait, what a... So he probably negotiates with the mob that in in a mea culpa, he is... How about if I just put you guys in my movies that don't do well? I think that it's like, hey, look, I won't rough you up, okay? You did, you fucked up here, right? You did a fucking thing. Yes, you did a I bad did, fucking I didn't, thing. I didn't but know. But we can work together. We can yes, work together. we can work together. Huh? Yes, yes, absolutely. You get, uh, you get little nipples, Joey eyes. You put them in a couple of, couple yes. of your shows, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying I would have surgery to get little nipples. Oh, yeah. Okay, so no. I'll just start putting you guys in my movies. Um, my casting yeah. process is a little irregular, just so you know. You'll have to come over to my place late at night, alone with no one, and I'll be in a robe and a throne. But yeah, as long oh. as you guys are good at acting like me, should be no problem. In one scene, he put some big mafia guy's son in the movie, and in this scene... He beats up everybody in a room and never touches the mafia guy's son. Enjoy your beer. 
I mean, like, he's already fighting an uphill battle. He's not in shape. He's never been good. He's now creatively, like, at the helm too much. And on top of that, he's now being basically extorted to cast mobs people in his movies. Well, there's already, there's already, a, there's already a mob issue. Nassau is mobbed up. Like, Masso's right. in, in deep with this. So there's already, there's already a mob thing going. He was living in the guy's house. It's right. all very, like... And also, when he is... When the studios are paying Stephen, part of his money goes to Nassau. Right. So, which isn't something you do. No, you don't commission your pharmacist normally. <laughs> well, I've never heard of that fee. <laughs> So there's a there's a, a, a strange relationship here. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Stephen's spiritual journey is really just on fire. In 1997, he became a reincarnated Buddhist master, which was sure. bestowed on him by Pinor Rinpoche, um, essentially your one step below uh, the Dalai Lama. <laughs> what? 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 This guy, Pinor Rinpoche, is supreme head is supreme head of the Nyingma school of Tibetan Buddhism. According to Vanity Fair quote, specifically he became a Tolka or incarnate Lama, the embodiment of Shungdrag Dor, who founded a small monastery in Tibet in the 17th century. So this guy's like this this uh mystique Buddhist monk from the past, and now this Rinpoche is saying that Stephen, he is the re- reincarnation of this guy. What? Now... How? Okay. So the, the, this happens. It's, it's, it's a thing in their religion, but usually it's a child that they find. Well, in many that ways. That has been reincarnated as... In many ways. <laughs> yes. In, in many, many ways. ways. And is it? It's not the same. It's not the same as they find the Dalai Lama, right? Because the way they find the Dalai Lama is like the Dalai Lama dies, and then they're like, "We got to go find the other one." Are they just like, "We've been looking for the Rinpoche, and here it is in a mansion in Studio City." I mean, it, it is kind of like that. Like they are seeking out, you know, who is what, and and right. yeah, I okay. mean, it's sort of the same thing. They find a kid, and they're like, "Yeah, this kid." So it's just Stephen and a bunch of children. But Buddhists now, especially like Richard Gere in Hollywood, but like Buddhists are like, right. why Him. Why is an old guy who kills tons Who's, of people in movies, how can he be a llama? Yeah. And people are like accusing the monastery of taking Stephen's money and giving this him in return. I mean, so they think he he's is, like- he's like a bishop now. He's right below the fucking Pope. I mean, essentially, it's Dalai Lama, then a bunch of oh, these he's dudes. Se- he's second Lama. I mean, and him and a bunch <laughs> of kids. And, and they think that the they think the 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 Buddhist powers that be are just being bribed, essentially. Well, th- this specific one, and maybe a couple right. others, because you have to you have to you come up with it, and then you get other a couple other. Rinpoche has to agree with you, and then then it happens. So yeah, but he's just passing out fifty grand briefcases, and they're like, hmm. <laughs> "We take I mean, the vow of silence. Right? We won't tell anyone." Yeah. 
So it's so bad. He gets so Pinot Rinpoche gets so much shit that he is forced to address the accusations in writing. Uh-huh. And he said he didn't take any money and he admitted Stephen didn't go through the complete process. Also, he's like, look, movies are movies. They're not real life. So. They, so, so I don't know what he, you guys get. It's entertainment, you know. So are you guys telling me that you feel like you think that the movies influence us? He's that good of a person. If you get to know Steven Seagal, you will see that he is everything we talk about. People will always continue to comment how weird it is that a violent action star uh, is a Tolka and Pinor Rinpoche, quote, there is no inherent contradiction. Sure. Okay. Uh, wow. So now he's one of the most... Top Buddhist around. God, he just keeps finding ways to just carve <laughs> out a, a like what seems like a good existence, but it's so not only undeserved, it's like, you know, to go from actor to, to high-ranking Buddhist is it's would be hard for a decent good person. At, like Tom Hanks, you'd be like, this is kind of bullshit. Yeah. But it's Steven well, Seagal. What about Richard Gere? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know much about him, but yes, he's a I would, huge Buddhist. Like, yeah, you. I mean, it would make more sense. According to producer Damian Lee, going to Stephen's office was now quite the experience. "Quote: It's really quite amazing. The staff really treats Stephen as a guru. When you have a meeting with him, you may be sitting there, and he will be served plates of fruit and meat, and they call him Rinpoche." As Stephen is served, his guests are never served a thing. So he's... <laughs> More charcuterie, Rinpoche, and cantaloupe. You don't eat. So let's talk about this next movie I can ruin. Let's get more prosciutto for the Rinpoche. A person who worked closely with Stephen said, quote, he's the only Buddhist I know who can use the words Dalai Lama and cunt in the same sentence. Tell you what, the Dalai Lama should have warned me that he was such a cunt. All right, so you seem, you seem, can I get some more Canadian bacon for the Rinpoche? At this point, Stephen is routinely calling journalists scumbags and cocksuckers and whores if they're women. Like he, oh. he's just like <laughs> as the Rinpoche the would. will do. Yes, of course. As as we, I mean, I the Dalai Lama loves to throw those terms around. So his box office career is just still getting smaller and smaller and smaller. In 2000, Warner Brothers gives him $3 million to play a supporting role in Exit Wounds, an action movie starring DMX. It does well at the box office, but Warner has fucking had it with Steven Seagal. He's 49. He's completely out of shape. He's often late. He is a serial sexual harasser, and he has lazy work habits. His $16 million movie fee is now down to $2.5 million a movie. Still overpaid, but yeah, what a drop. Yeah. Now, over the years, his relationship with Nassau has been going south. They had put together a film called The Prince of Central Park in 1998, but Stephen backed out of it at the last minute. Of their own project? Yeah. Yeah, I'm passing on me. I don't believe I can do this. I don't like what I've done. It's just him in the mirror. I'm sorry, it's a pass. 
Uh, he also pulled out of three other films, and it caused the production company to cancel twenty five. So he can't pull in. out. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so to cancel twenty five million in foreign distribution deals. So Stephen now tells NASA he, he wants out of the partnership. He wants to end the partnership. Right. That's his fault. Now NASA's like, we have a contract for sixty million dollars to make more movies. And Steven's no. like, I don't care. And also, there's no actual contract. <laughs> okay, here we go. One of those, one of those projects had been for Steven to star as Genghis Khan. Even though Steven isn't Asian. Well, there's a couple of things. One... It sounds like he has the behavior of the character. Uh, yes. Two, um, as I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a terrible. I mean, it's a highly illogical, problematic concept in every way and facet. But we also have seen in the last whatever decade that there's not uh, a lot of pushback sometimes to white people playing um, Asian characters. We've that, I mean, you know. Oh, okay. Okay, so let's talk further about this. Um, they took out full-page ads touting the film and trade publications wow. is what you do when you're going to start making a movie. And then Steven went to China and auditioned actors to play his relatives in the film. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So he's not an Asian guy who's going oh to have an Asian family. Oh, my God. Oh God! What were you saying? Uh, it's just there's there's a logic issue. It's I mean again we're getting back to beyond appropriation now. It is where we sort of started, which is like he does it. Stephen is what we call a racial shapeshifter in his own mind. <laughs> He's not really. He doesn't see himself as white. He sees himself as he has the ability to sort of morph into whatever the role calls for. You know, um, <laughs> in Exit Wounds, Stephen considered himself to be DMX's father. It, we just <laughs> let him believe certain things. So, whatever. The Genghis Khan movie is dead with the other movies. Um, he started filming Exit Wounds in Toronto, and while he was shooting, Nasso, his brother Vincent, a Gambino capo and a Gambino soldier went to see Steven on the set and tried to intimidate and tried to intimidate him into continuing making movies with Nasso. I mean, what a crazy, like, look, you're going to keep making dumb movies with Nasso. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, I don't know what you heard, but, uh, Unfortunately, Stephen, you're not going to be able to just walk away from making these movies. Now, this is uh, highly irregular for the mob, obviously, to be coming here to pressure you to, uh, you know, continue to make uh, theatrical releases. But we are what we are. You're going to make a movie, and you ain't going to refuse, okay? Well, after that, producer Damien Lee said Stephen was going around to people saying, quote, I have a problem. Can you help me with the stuff down in New York? Hi, and I then, have a problem. I got a, I got a New York problem. There's New York guys. And then Danny Provenzano of the Genovese crime. So the other guys are from Gambino. 
of the Genovese crime family comes up to see Steven. Now, Danny had been dabbling in movies a little bit, producing and whatnot. And after this meeting, it was decided that Steven was no longer in business with Nasso. He was now working with Provenzano. And by extension, uh-huh. Capo Sonny Franchisi, who is, remember, the guy from earlier who... Sleeping with someone's wife. Oh, Jesus Oh, let's work Christ. it out. Let's put guy... So this is all coming around full circle a little bit. So if you're, like, on now, set with him, you're, he's like, well, I finally, I finally did it. I got rid of the, um, the Gambino problem. Oh, good for you. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I just... It's too much pressure to try to work with the mob. It's like... I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like they don't share the moral principles that I... Uh, Rinochet uh, hold dear to my heart. <laughs> That's smart of you, Stephen. You shouldn't be forced to do that. Yeah. So I'm working with another mob family. A better so, one. A better one. More moral. They're more moral. They're they more have more moral. Plus, I tried to fuck his wife, so they're also they wanted to kill me too. But like DMX was probably like, uh, I'm sorry, I don't want to know about your life. Um, so. So basically what happened was Provenzo takes over NASA's spot in the business and everything's going to continue as is. Like that's Good. essentially what's, what's gone on with, with Sonny, with this Capo Sonny Francenzi being essentially the guy pulling the strings. The new, the new NASA. In 2001, Stephen uh, goes to a New York restaurant to see NASA, his brother Vincent, everything. to discuss the situation. He wants to talk to him about this situation. Sure. But when he arrives, they hustle him into a car where there is another Gambino guy waiting. And then they drive. At one point, they switch cars in case they're being watched. Oh, my God. Steven doesn't know what's going on. And then they take him to the Gage and Tallinder restaurant in Brooklyn and take him into a back room where the Gambino capo and soldier... From before are waiting. The ones who came to visit him with NASA on the set. And they demand Stephen either do four films. <laughs> what? Or, or list. Do, they do the four films the contract is for with NASA. Or uh. list NASA in the credits. But either way, give them a fee of 150000 per film. Oh, my God. I mean, he's... It, it, this is, again... Rarified. Uh, this is not. I mean, even for Hollywood nonsense, it's <laughs> the forcing. Like, all right, look, you either do the four movies with us, or NASA's named as a producer, and we get the hundred fifty thousand credit. Okay, uh, that's three briefcases. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Oh, I want points on the back, huh? <laughs> And we want to be named in all the sequels, and we want to cut of the merchandise, okay? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so Steven is very scared, even though he had a gun on him the whole time. He doesn't want to go to the FBI. Quote, they can't help me. They can't protect me. <laughs> hey, I mean, I guess there's a lesson in here, which is just don't make up everything. <laughs> it is. He's also I, scared about. He's scared about what would happen to his career if it came out that tough guy Steven Seagal is being. That's what I was you know, just going to say. I mean, he's built this whole like 
air about himself where he is this lead, like he's he's the real deal. He was sought out. He's probably CIA. He's a Navy SEAL. He, nobody could choke him out. And then he's just some dude in cars that are getting switched around with a gun on him. And he's like, ah, I got to make four movies and otherwise these guys are going to hurt me. So what does he do? What do you do? He can't go to the FBI. Well, he goes to see Angelo Prisco, a Genovese captain who is in prison. He's hoping Prisco could be a peacemaker and help resolve the situation. And Stephen pays him $10,000 for his time. Wow. And then absolutely nothing happens. He just takes $10,000. Oh, all right. That's very appreciated. Well, thanks for coming by, Stephen. So will that work? Yeah, that works. So it's going to be okay? Yeah, for me, it's going to be great. But I want... Take care. But I... See you later. But I gave you 10000 Yeah, it's much appreciated. Thank you so much. But I am still in, in a lot of trouble, yeah. Anyway, yeah. come by whenever you want to give me money, okay? I just... Thank oh, you. I, uh, I feel like I'm not good at life. A month later, Nasso the capo and the soldier showed up at Stephen's house in L.A. the day of the Exit Wounds premiere. They had heard Stephen was complaining about their threats. And that day, no. Stephen gave them $700,000. No, no, I wasn't complaining. I was actually, I was complaining because I kept losing count over how many briefcases <laughs> I needed to give you guys. And it turns out it's, it's, it's a lot of them. So... Here you go. Here's a stack of 16, 17, somewhere around there. And, um, yep, so that's cool. Thanks for coming. Uh, anyway, I should get on yeah. my um, big and tall robe. I've got to go to uh, the premiere tonight. Great to see you, friends. Whoo! Okay, let's do the math. They want him to do four movies for one hundred fifty thousand each, which is six hundred thousand dollars. He just it's gave a them a hundred thousand dollars over. It's a tip. Well, it's a shit your pants fee. I mean, he's really <laughs> like. I mean, he's again for the. T for, I mean, he starts the first half of his career posturing as the toughest guy in the world, and then the second half of his career coming across as one of the most scared men alive. Yeah. So the government the whole time has been investigating the Gabino Capo, the one who threatened him. Right. And uh, that guy is soon arrested. It okay. turns out they have tape recordings. And on one of them, the Capo and the soldier are laughing as they talk about how they just scared the shit out of Steven Seagal in their meeting. Oh, my God. It's like Suge Knight with vanilla ice. <laughs> a lawyer said, quote, they were laughing about it, saying it was right out of the movies. The capo said, quote, I wish we had our guns on us. That would have been funny. Yeah, that would have been hilarious. They're laughing at him because he's so yeah. scared and he has a gun yeah. on him. So they think it's fucking right. hilarious. But he's like, um, and then uh, here's another hundred grand just for <laughs> gas. Now, there's also tapes of the capo telling NASA to demand 150000 per film. And 
In another, the soldier said Stephen was, quote, running scared shit. That's a good title. Running scared. That is a good title. Stephen Seagal and running scared shit. I shit my pants while jogging weirdly. (laughs) So Nassau ends up suing Stephen for the $60 million. still suing him. So wait, that... Oh, the seven hundred grand went towards him basically, and now he's suing him. I I think the seven hundred grand just, just went the to the, the okay. capo, okay, and the, gotcha. I don't think it went to right. Nassau. And then he had to get permission from the mob to sue yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. They gave. Yeah, permission. yeah. You could sue him. Fuck him. Now, around this time, Nassau also told Stephen he's no longer wanted his company's name on Stephen's New York gun permit. And I already told the police that, and Stephen fucking lost his shit because he wants his guns. <laughs> now, while all this is going on, I mentioned Stephen. Stephen loves animals, right? I mentioned that he that. loves animals. Yeah, I mentioned uh, okay. that. Okay, yeah. I don't remember that. He's a big right. animal guy. I know he, he likes panda animals. cookies. Well, that's not just talk. He genuinely does. Uh, around this time, he works with Force South Africa to stop the exporting of baby elephants to Japan. I don't know why baby elephants are being sent to Japan. Oh, I don't know what's happening, reasons, but that's yeah, I'm sure it's, it's some sort uh, of an eating just thing. being enclosed in some capacity or ivory or one some well, probably not ivory anyway. And then after that, PETA gives him a humanitarian. You're award. my favorite bread. Now, he's, he's vegetarian. He believes in shaming companies into changing, so he has some ideas sure. that are okay. He said he sees himself in all animals. Gross. And he went further on this explanation. Quote, when I walk into a room, some people see a dog. Some people see a cow. I am all of what they see. It is their perception. Probably not the two greatest animals to pick. <laughs> like, you could be like, some see a puma, some see a jackal, some see a lion, some see a dog, some see a cow, some see a jellyfish. Some see a naked mole some rat. See, yeah. yeah. There's no Buddhist story that I, I love because it, it reminds me of being on mushrooms a little bit, but... Um, these people come to see these two high up Buddhist guys, monks, have a conversation, and they're both just fucking laughing. Mm-hmm. They're just laughing their asses off. And then one finally stops and goes, I can't believe they call that a tree. And then they just start laughing mm-hmm. again. All right. So it's about perception. It's about what you right. believe. Like, you know, yes. it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a greater philosophical idea. It seems like he's taken that and shit on it and then rubbed it through some animal hair, and he came up with this. Right. Like, it's not the same no. thing. People don't fucking see a dog when you walk in the room. Well, it's also, not it's also ego-based because it's what people's perception of him are versus the perception of enlightened right. people's view of, you know, the absurdities of the world. His is, his yeah. is, their, theirs is, oh my gosh, I can't believe we attribute names to things that, you know, foolish, foolish humans. His is, I, too many, am animals. <laughs> <laughs> so PETA, after he does this, they interview him. 
And Stephen explained when he realized that he had an incredible connection with animals. And this goes back to when he's learning Aikido in Japan. Quote, I was in Japan and had my own dojo or school there. I was having some difficulties with a group of lawless individuals. There was this big conflict. Again, his rumble of the Bronx lie past where he was pretending to be a dog. <laughs> he can never he can never not pretend like he it's, was attacked by the Yeah, it's like sunk into never his not. head as reality now. It's it's like bullshits that stuck so long that it became real. <laughs> I remember I was sitting out in front of my dojo and I saw this white dog who just walked right up to me as if he had known me forever. I petted him and fed him and he stayed with me for a few days. On about the third day, he woke me up with really intense barking at about four in the morning and I noticed that my dojo was on fire. I quickly summoned help and we got the fire out and I thanked the dog. The next day, he disappeared. And it was me. I'm I dog was the white. I was fire. the white dog that had come to myself. I'm a yakuza dog. So, so he again has. He's just. I mean, it, it. He can't stop. You would think at this point that he would be like. There would be like a part <laughs> of him that would be like, "Yeah, I need to start to live in reality a little bit more because two mob families are fucking me over and it's not going well." But instead, he's like. And that dog saved me, and then I don't believe the dog ever existed. <laughs> so that's why I help animals. Dogs come to me to save my life. Uh, magic yeah. dogs. Or all do- are all dogs magic? Yes, is the answer. Yes. Even me, sometimes I walk into a room and people see a dog because I'm trying to lick my own Work balls. Out. Or a cat because right. I only go in sand. So. so prosecutors ended up bringing Stephen into the grand jury over the mob case. And there he pleaded the fifth. I plead the fifth. And by the way, I would love, feel a lot more comfortable if I was the only one wearing a robe, Your Honor. So they gave him immunity and he turned snitch. Oh, my snitch. God. This is unfucking real. Stephen was called John Doe number five in court papers. John Dojo. At trial, <laughs> at trial, he wore a silk shirt and a brown silk jacket, and he testified against the mob capo. Wow. While being questioned, he said, quote, in the movies, I play a tough action hero, but I have feelings. I have been a victim twice. Twice. I mean, it takes a lot for it's the only time when they're like, all right, you can be you have to be totally honest is where he's like, in reality, I'm a bit of a wimp. So just so you know. (laughs) Now, the judge, the judge has a grandson and he's like a younger he's like a teen and he comes to watch. And the L.A. Times reported, he said, quote, I like his movies, but I thought he would be skinnier. <laughs> I love that the LA Times put that uh, in. He was like, why did they quote that kid? Just. <laughs> he looks kind of like a younger Santa. Okay, so the Gambino crime captain gets 15 years for dozens of charges, not just the ones involving right. 
you know, Seagal, but it's just tons of stuff. And the press learned how scared fucking Steven Seagal is. tough guy. Ex-CIA, ex-Navy SEAL. Now. Dojo owner in Japan. Sought out by the founder of Aikido when he was a teenager in Fullerton. I also speak dog. So, do you remember the CIA agent that he had tried to hire to film the reporter having gay sex when the reporter yes. was straight? So, apparently, Stephen said something about him in, in, while he was on the witness stand. And so, now that guy is mad. And he comes out and reveals who he is. His name is Herbert Sanders. And he's so mad at Stephen Seagal that he comes out. And he basically says everything Stephen had done. So before it was just Spy Magazine, anonymous CIA guy, and now he's coming out and saying it's all fucking true. This guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. But the reason he did it is because he wanted, he was like, I want to be a part of, because NASA is going to go on trial next. He goes, I want to be a witness in that trial. And he, he's like, <laughs> I mean, he, it, he says it, Stephen can't. It's like the, he the says, first half of all of his lies are now just, it's all coming back upon him. Yeah. He can't, he, he, the guy says he can't, Steven Seagal cannot separate fact from fantasy. And, um, and he said Stephen, his relationship with Stephen was Stephen always asked him to do stuff. And, and uh, he, he cut off Stephen when Stephen asked him, to get his DEA files because Stephen believed the DEA was keeping files on him because at some point they were going to frame it. Oh, my God. So, I mean, just <laughs> out of his gourd. Out of his fucking mind. Oh. The only way they can take me down off my giant The DEA is trying to get me. Everyone wants to take me down. So, um, Action star Steven Seagal. Um, NASA wanted the, C- the CIH to testify, but the prosecutor's like, there's no reason. It's yeah, but not he really thing. is dying to. You just let, can we just let him in for a minute? He just. He, wanted, he, he really wants is looking to chew the fat over Stephen a little bit. So the trial happens, and in 2004, Julius Nasso pleads guilty uh, to extortion conspiracy, and he gets a year in prison and a $75,000 fine. But he still. Wants the money owed him. The 60 mil. The $60 million. Uh, he says Stevens in violation of the contract. Also, early on in their relationship, Steven had borrowed $500,000 from Nassau. Now, Nassau is connected to who? The yeah. mob? <laughs> And early on in Steven's career, he borrowed $500,000 from the mob, a guy associated with the right. mob. So some things I, see, I think are starting to come together right. a little so bit. So the mob now, I mean, he's, he's owned by the mob. He is. That's why that may be why NASA's name is on all and the why, Warner Brothers Right, checks. and why he even started the partnership with him. Because it seems insane. And Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers would never explain why they right. have done that. Right. 
I mean, because he was living on his property in a guest house. So he was at one point, you know, it's partially that he was probably living beyond his means, pretending to be this person that he isn't. And in order to fund that, he made a deal with the devil. They could, it could have just been a situation where they're like, look, we gave you money early yeah. on. And until you and until you pay off your debts, you're living in this fucking house and we get your checks or something of that. And nature. he made so much money. And then when he money. made enough money, then he right. could, yeah. Uh, but who knows? Like, that's all, right. all up in the air. But there's definitely some shit here with the fucking mob. The $500,000, the having guys in the movies. It's yeah. all very. Their, uh, their legal disputes is in the courts for a while, and it gets settled in 2008. Steven agrees to pay back the $500,000. He also agrees to sign a letter requesting a presidential pardon for Nassau. What? Is that, what year is this? It's just the it's Bush. It's Bush, but the in any way is it? it it's not going. I mean, Steven Seagal signing a letter. That's just a lot of um, conditions. It's like. Well, I'll sign like him signing a, pre- a a letter asking for a presidential pardon doesn't do any. It's not moving the needle in any way. OK, so as we're going to see in part three, there seems to be a large group of people out there who believe Steven Seagal has much greater influence and is much more important than he really is. OK. And I think this is an example of that. It will blow up in the third part. So NASA drops the $60 million suit with the settlement. Steven is now free to make movies with his new production company, Steamroller. Uh Right. Yeah, Cleveland Steamer. But, But all of this stuff that has now come out in the trials has brought Steven's mob affiliations to the attention of the FBI. And you'll learn more about that in part three. Oh, my God. The idea that he's like, finally, I can make movies again. It's like, buddy, that's not happening anymore. We don't. Nobody is after. It doesn't. Nobody is like clamoring for more Steven Seagal films. It is so satisfying. Because you don't get this in politics. It is very satisfying to hear someone's world of bullshit crashing down around them. And they are finally being proven unequipped to handle adversity after projecting that they can for so long. Yeah. I mean, are the Buddhists like, hey, Stephen, can you come here for a meeting? Um, we're gonna go more into the Buddhist stuff oh in part three. And three it is parts, crazy. So we had part one, and then I we had a Steven sequel, and then now I really thought that it would. I thought it would be two parts, and then I just did the second part, and I was like, "Well, this is just bananas. Like it's just, it just keeps getting more and more crazy. We haven't even hit peak crazy yet because it's gonna keep getting crazier in 2023. I don't even know what's gonna happen." <laughs> <laughs> what? So, so there's probably a hanging fourth parter out there. Motherfucker, it's going international. I mean, it has to. 
he, there's nothing he can do in this country. I mean, this country now, it's just like, look, Stephen. That's right. You have, this is just, we are, you have, America is now a dried husk for you. You are done. There are no, there's nothing left. Oh, my God. Could have been, could have been a senator. Senator, I mean, yeah. Senator up. I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put a. Anything, Pat, I mean, you know, we voted for Schwarzenegger. Trump became president. I wouldn't put anything past any voting bloc in the United States to pick any idiot to be in any office. I I am so close to saying with confidence that Steven Seagal won't make it in political office, but... I don't think now he can, but back then... Back then, absolutely. Maybe. Absolutely. Now I feel like it's... Now it's just... I mean, but you never know. Now I don't think he can. Yeah. No, he probably... What if he ran in Texas? Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. What if he ran in Arizona? To me, it's Florida. To me, Florida is where it could potentially happen. Yeah, yeah, Florida. That's our greatest state, so maybe that could happen. Um, Well, it's uh, once again been an absolute pleasure. Um, what What an honor. It has. Um, really, just certainly uh, quite a man. Quite a man. <laughs> quite, a, quite a man. <laughs> wow. Fuck it. Hey, man. What the fuck? So many sources for this episode. Uh, the research was done by myself and Ron Pacone. Sources. See... I don't know. I always mess up how to say this. Seagology, see Seagalology, um, L.A. Times, L.A. Times Archive, New York Times, NPR, The Guardian, SEC, dot gov, Vox, Daily Mail, Wales Online, BuzzFeed, IMDb, Grunge, Biography dot com, Newsweek, Reuters, Slate, Daily Mail, UK, Looper, Forbes, Phoenix New Time, New York Daily News. Deadline.com, USA Today, The Baffler, GQ, New York Post, Washington Post, BuzzFeed News, and Vanity Fair.